Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Major Mondays webinar for March 14th, 2022. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about workers' comp exclusivity in New York and New Jersey. Uh, we're going to go over some exceptions and uh, Section 29 and Section 40 recovery rights. Uh, if you have any questions, just feel free to post them in the uh, box, and we'll get to them uh, at the conclusion of the webinar or afterward. All right, so what is the concept of workers' comp exclusivity to begin with? Well, uh, it is the idea that workers' compensation is the exclusive remedy for work-related injuries for injured employees uh, in exchange, basically, for guaranteed access to benefits without regard to fault. The worker surrenders other claims against the employer. Basically, if you get injured and it's work-related and it's compensable, you're guaranteed benefits. You don't have to prove damages. It's a, effectively a no-fault system. Uh, generally, acceptance of workers' comp benefits will serve as a bar to any other claim against the employer. So let's look at New York first. This is Section 11. So Section 11 says that the liability of an employer for workers' comp benefits shall be exclusive and in place of any other liability whatsoever. And that wording is actually very strong. Uh, shall be exclusive and in place of any other liability whatsoever. So the legislature was very clear that they wanted to limit the employer's exposure just to comp. Um, applies to an injured worker or any other person otherwise entitled to recover damages, contribution, or indemnity at common law or otherwise. Uh, section 29.6 extends Section 11 to uh, co-employees. So basically, the, your co-worker is entitled to the same protection as your employer. Um, and there's this overlap with general special employment. Um, if anyone's familiar with that concept, it's that under the workers' comp law, uh, an employee can have two different employers a general employer and a special employer, for instance, in the context of lent employment from a staffing company. Uh, and the way to think about this Section 11 exclusivity is debt is to one, debt is to all. Uh, basically, if one employer, the general employer, is protected from suit under Section 11, so is the special employer and vice versa, and so are employees of both. So uh, what are the exceptions written into Section 11 itself? So if the employer does not have workers' comp coverage as required by sections 10 and 50 of the workers' comp law, the employee has the option to select workers' compensation or to sue civilly for damages. Note that if they uh, choose to take compensation, the section 11 bar then applies again. Um, if the employee sues the employer civilly, the employer cannot raise contributory negligence or assumption of risk of employment as defenses and cannot argue that, that the injury was caused by coworker negligence. So if in this context where they elect to sue uh, the employer civilly because the employer failed to get the required insurance, uh, the, employee, the employer loses out on quite a few defenses right out of the gate. Um, the employee would not be required to plead or prove freedom from contributory negligence. Uh, other exceptions in Section 11 itself. Indemnity and contribution prohibited by Section 11 does not include contractual agreement entered into before the accident. So um, Section 11, in the language we just looked at, it said it applies to the injured worker or any others, including claims for indemnification or contribution. Well, the rest of the statute actually writes out that uh, if the employer agrees contractually to assume liability from a third-party defendant, that contractual agreement, provided it's before the accident, supersedes the Section 11 protection. So contractual liability for indemnification still applies. 
Um, there's freedom from liability to third persons, um, but it can be overcome with competent medical evidence showing a grave injury. So if there is no contractual agreement to indemnify, um, you can still get over this bar as a third party defendant and see contribution from the employer if you can prove a grave injury and those are defined by section 11 itself. Uh, this has the effect of allowing the third party defendant to pursue indemnity and contribution from the employer. Note that this is not strict liability. It is not once you're able to pierce the section 11 bar due to a grave injury, the employer's on the hook for everything. Uh, damages still have to be apportioned appropriately. Other exceptions to section 11. So it triggers once the employer's liability for workers' comp benefits is established. In other words, if the accident did not arise out of or in the course of employment, well, it makes sense that the section 11 bar would not apply. Um, the other big one is intentional injury perpetrated or directed by the employer. Now note that this cannot, this is not gross negligence or recklessness. Uh, this has to be deliberate and intentional, basically ordering the employee to get hurt, knowing that they're going to get hurt if you do. Um, the employer is still protected if the coworker's intentional wrong was not instigated or authorized by the employer. So what this is saying is that uh, an accident can still be accidental, for, or an incident rather, can still be accidental from the employer's standpoint, even if it's intentional by the coworker. As long as the employer didn't uh, instigate or authorize the coworker to hurt uh, the injured worker, then the employer can still be entitled to the protection of section, section 11, even if it was their worker that committed the intentional tort. Other exceptions. Um, so if an injury is compensable under workers comp under the workers' compensation law, an injured worker cannot get around section 11 by refusing workers' comp benefits. Yes, generally you're gonna get more in civil court, partic particularly if liability is clear and you have a great claim for pain and suffering, non-economic damages. Well, it's not either or. You can't just say, you know, I'd rather sue in civil court, so I'm not taking comp. Um, you have to, you cannot get around section 11 by just refusing workers' comp benefits if the injury is compensable. Uh, conversely, the moment the employee accepts workers' comp benefits, coworkers and the employer are protected from intentional wrong claims. So to be very clear about that again, you know, intentional wrongs are an exception to insurance coverage. They're an, they're an exception to uh, the protections of section 11, but if the employee decides to accept workers' comp benefits, they cannot claim an intentional wrong against a coworker or their employer. It is still either or. Once they elect workers' comp, they cannot sue the employer for an intentional wrong. Uh, so the Section 11 bar does still apply in the intentional wrong context. Um, it just gives the employee the option of suing civilly or for comp. If they sue for comp, the action is dead against the employer or coworker, or if they accept compensation, rather. Um, even claims for coworker intentional torts are barred if the employee accepts workers' comp, uh, as otherwise the coworker wouldn't receive complete protection as intended by the legislature. Um, so what do I mean by that? It's that if a coworker commits an intentional tort, and the employer is uh, and the employer is protected from liability, uh, but the coworker isn't. The coworker, the employer might potentially seek to get reimbursed for their workers' comp damages from the coworker that committed the intentional tort, which is you know an action over they call it. So 
In this instance, the employer might actually seek to recover from the employee that committed the intentional tort. And then all of a sudden, where is this section 29.6 and section 11 protection? So um, it is a complete protection. The employee accepts workers' comp benefits, that's it. Let's get to section eight in New Jersey. So um, let's look at the language first of all here. Such agreement shall be a surrender by the parties thereto of their rights to any other method, form, or amount of compensation or determination thereof. If an injury or death is compensable, keywords there again, like we saw in section 11, a person shall not be liable at common law or otherwise uh, on account of such injury or death for any such act or omission occurring while such person was in the same employee as the person injured or killed, except for intentional wrong. So unlike section 11, this one actually specifies that there's uh, an intentional wrong exception. So what is that intentional wrong exception? The laid low claim. Uh, anyone who's dealt with claims in New Jersey has probably heard of this. So uh, we start off with this Millicent case that says the employee is not precluded from also suing the employer in tort if the injury is caused by the employer's intentional wrongdoing. So here the employee can actually do both, unlike in New York. Um, the damages would be offset by the amount of workers' comp benefits. In other words, the employer doesn't pay twice for the same recovery. Uh, if there's economic damages, they're offset by workers' comp benefits. And same thing for pain and suffering over that. So there's a full offset for the amount of workers' comp benefits. The employer's not paying, paying twice. Uh, this exception is narrowly construed. The employer's actions must be substantially certain to cause the injury suffered. Uh, then we'll move along to this Bustamante case. Uh, subjective intent to injure or substantial certainty that the injury will occur. Those are the standards we're looking at for the employer. So this leads us eventually to Laidlow, the New Jersey Supreme Court decision, and they interpret Millicent by establishing, uh, establishing a two-prong intentional wrong analysis. Prong one, uh, it relates to the employer's conduct. Uh, we inquire whether the employer has knowledge that its actions were substantially certain to cause the complaint of harm. So prong one requires both substantial certainty analysis and subjective desire to injure analysis. Again, you're looking at this standard of basically ordering the employee to hurt themselves, knowing that it's actually going to work. Uh, prong two, consideration of context, whether the injury and circumstances amount to more than a fact of life of industrial employment and B, are plainly beyond anything the legislature intended the workers' compact to immunize. Uh, the context prong is going to be decided by the trial judge. The conduct prong, the one we talked about before, prong one, is going to be decided by a jury. Again, the net effect here is a very high bar for an intentional wrong claim in New Jersey, um, basically ordering the worker to get hurt, get hurt. All right, a note on the duty to defend. So the duty to defend is actually broader uh, than the duty to indemnify. The duty to indemnify is the coverage you afford under your workers' comp contract, right? So comp policies contain what's called a C5 exclusion. Uh, for bodily injury intentionally caused or aggravated by you. Generally, that's how it's worded. So what was happening was New Jersey courts uh, with Laidlow and Millicent and Bustamante in those cases, uh, they were finding that this was broader than the Laidlow definition of intentional wrong, which required carriers to defend because this Laidlow definition was uh, pretty narrow. We had the um, conduct prong and the context prong. 
But meanwhile, the C5 exclusion just says intentionally caused or aggravated. Um, so this was requiring carriers to defend their insured for intentional wrong claims in New Jersey, uh, even if ultimately they would not be required to indemnify because the coverage would be excluded. So what, ha what happened with these cases? Well, ultimately it gave rise to a separate policy endorsement for New Jersey claims that you're probably going to see in uh, a lot of Part B coverage and uh, workers' comp policies in general. Uh, interestingly, the New Jersey-specific endorsement clarifies that exclusion C5 applies to any and all intentional wrongs within the exception allowed by NJSA 34-15-8. Uh, in other words, there, there's now a New Jersey-specific endorsement that says, if this is a laid-low claim, we're not paying it. Uh, policies in New Jersey developed their own separate endorsement in response to the narrow definition of intentional wrong. Uh, and I just thought that that was uh, an interesting note on the duty to defend from the insurance agreement. So what about section 29 and section 40? How does this work if you're the workers comp carrier and your insured gets sued for an intentional wrong? Well, the carrier pays workers comp benefits, but the employer is sued, as I just said. Would this technically be subrogating against your own insured? Well, sure, there might be issues with you stepping into the shoes of the claimant and suing them. That might be prohibited contractually. But what about just getting reimbursed with your Section 29 or Section 40 lien? So in Hanford versus Plaza Packaging Corp., the Court of Appeals noted that the separate suit for an intentional wrong against a coworker does not mean that the employee gets a double recovery. The damages are going to be subject to Section 29, where workers' comp benefits were paid based on the same event. Um, I love this language here. Section 29 clearly reveals a legislative design to provide for reimbursement of the compensation carrier whenever a recovery is obtained in tort for the same injury that was a predicate for the payment of compensation benefits. This comes from Pedersen versus Daystrom Corp. Uh, and then there's also this case, Beth V versus New York State Office of Children and Family Services. Um, it, they basically conclude that it's unreasonable to read the statute as mandating a different result merely because recovery came from a coworker instead of a stranger. In other words, just because it's being paid from a different source doesn't mean that the employee gets the windfall of a double recovery. So Section 29 gives the carrier a lien against any recovery in a civil action for the same injuries even where the action is brought against the employer or as we just saw, the coworker. Same goes for federal action against the employer for hostile work environment, discrimination, battery, and assault. We're looking at Shiner versus SUNY at Buffalo here. Um, moving on to New Jersey, we have a similar result to the Frazier standard of functionally equivalent source of third-party recovery. For anyone familiar with that, um, that is just the standard that gave rise to the Section 40 lien on malpractice actions, on underinsured motorist benefits, which is not the case in New York. Uh, they basically said that Section 40 applied to third-party third recoveries or any functionally equivalent source. Uh, so the workers' comp carrier is entitled to dollar-for-dollar dollar reimbursement of benefits paid to the injured worker from settlement of workers' intentional tort claim against employer. So this, this was the case, Kalalpa versus De Rionco. Uh, and the reason they made this decision, well, they pointed back to Millicent, holding that the tort recovery against the employer is going to be offset by the amount of workers' comp benefits. Uh, so this is actually somewhat interesting that uh, they interpreted this offset as requiring a dollar-for-dollar dollar reimbursement under Section 40. 
But let's look at a more recent case here. Um, just came out from the New Jersey uh, Supreme Court back in June 28, 2021. It had been on uh, appeal from the appellate division for a little while. Uh, so the New Jersey Supreme Court finds that workers' comp exclusivity does not preclude a, a claim under law against discrimination, and I cited the statute there. Uh, basically what happened in this case was the plaintiff alleged that the employer failed to accommodate her pre-existing diabetes, but she had also received workers' comp benefits from the same employer. So the court found that the two statutory schemes harmonized to operate to prevent a double recovery. In other words, injured worker got to proceed with both. Uh, they affirmed the, the appellate division decision that should the jury's award be equal to or greater than the section 40 lien, medical and indemnity paid to plaintiff, uh, a lien would attach, but the jury may not include in that amount the fees and costs paid to the plaintiff's comp attorney. Uh, and what did they do in um, reaching this determination and basically somewhat overturning a portion of Millicent? Well, they looked at the language in section 40 that says the carrier is responsible for their share of litigation costs. And in this case, um, the employer was trying to argue that there was, or I'm sorry, the comp carrier was trying to argue that they were entitled to a section 40 lien on the work on the attorney's fees to the workers comp attorney in conjunction with the comp case settlement. Um, evidence of medical and indemnity, the section 40 lien can be presented to a jury. Uh, that's another important holding from this case. Uh, and Millison did not mean that the employer is entitled to reimburse for fees the plaintiff had to pay counsel out of a compensation award. So Richter versus Oakland Board of Education actually narrowed Millison somewhat. Uh, the net takeaway here is that there's an argument for dollar for dollar reimbursement, but not to the extent that it includes attorney's fees. So as always, go ahead and post your questions and uh, we will get to them at the conclusion of the webinar. I wanna thank everyone for joining and hopefully I will see you all next month.